Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome everybody to Paradox. I am Jimmy. I'm Josh. And today we are, well, we interview a lot of people, but we have a very special person today. Very. Can you picture her sitting? Oh my Lord, yes. In the youth group. With her hand up. <laughs> asking if she can pray or comment. <laughs> and we're talking with Tish Harrison Warren. She's the author of the new book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. She is a former youth of mine back in the day. You're what now? 60, 65? How old are you now? <laughs> yeah, nearing 70. At least that, at least I feel it that way. I, I am in my upper 30s. All right. Very nice. I like the way you put it. I don't think you can ask her that. Her and her husband, Jonathan, are co-associate rectors of the Church of the Ascension in Pittsburgh. And even though you're from Austin, tell me you are not a Steelers fan. Yeah, please. No, I'm not. I'm not. In fact, uh, my dad, when we were going up to moving from Austin to Pittsburgh, he said he gave me his blessing. He told us he thought we should go, but he was like, you cannot cheer for the Steelers or have <laughs> my grandmother cheer for the Steelers. And then, and then not long after he passed away. So I'm like, it. my father on his deathbed. It was his dying wish, really. Yeah, exactly. So no, wait, I'm Cowboys all the way. Perfect. In your book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, there's so many, 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 many things that I want to ask you about this. The first one being, what's a liturgy? <laughs> Stand basic. And this is coming from a Baptist. Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually something I get asked a lot. Um, Thank you, Josh. Yeah. I, before, I'm going to answer that, but I do want to also say, I said this to you guys before, but I, since the book has come out, I've gotten interviewed a lot and been on a lot of podcasts, but it's super fun for me to be on a podcast with my youth minister and friends <laughs> from long ago. Long, long ago. So liturgy, I would say, is um, any ritual or practice um, that is connected with meaning or transcendence, um, and it shapes our view of the good life and, and, and really in many ways reveals our view of what the good life is. And so I say... Um, I talk in the book about how every church has a liturgy, whether they say they have a liturgy or not. Liturgy is simply the practices and habits and rituals of our worship together. So, so like for, for, for Baptists, it would be like going to Luby's cafeteria quickly when the worship <laughs> server is over. Okay. Now I'm understanding. I grew up Baptist. We wouldn't have talked about a, a liturgy. In fact, some folks I think in our church growing up would have really sort of um, bristled Brown, at the idea of liturgy. Mm -hmm. yep. But if I 
if I was sick one Sunday and couldn't go to church, I could stay home and tell you within about five minutes of accuracy what was happening at the church service at that moment. So <laughs> there was there was liturgy. Yes. Whether or not I, um, you wanted to admit it or not. That's true of all of us. But even folks who don't go to church, I think there's a liturgy. There are rituals and habits and practices. Yeah, we have a rhythm. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. James K. A. Smith talks about the liturgy of going to the mall and what that experience is like. And so the, uh, the point is, is that all human communities have practices and rituals that, that yes. form us and shape us. What I love about your book, and when I saw it, when I saw your book, I just started to chuckle. Because you saw liturgy in the ordinary when you were a child. I laugh. I can picture you sitting there with your hand, with your hand raised, and when you were <laughs> when you were saying, "Oh, let me pray, let me pray," no one else wanted to pray, but Tish's hand was always up. Here, I'll close this out. And when I say, "Okay, Tish," you would, kids would roll their eyes. You know why? Because you would say, and you would pray for all the right, good, good, good things and good things and everything. And then you would just say, and God, just thank you for the grass and thank you for the blue skies. And all the other kids were just going, would, for the love of just all that's holy, stop. would you wrap it up? <laughs> and, but you were seeing God in the ordinary things. Hmm. So have you sort of looked at this in this way, sort of more of a micro than macro for a long time? This is fascinating. I have no idea. <laughs> I, it's funny. It's, I feel like, um, man, I don't know. I feel like we need to go to coffee and talk about this. Um, because <laughs> I don't practice. remember. Uh, I, I don't remember. I mean, I don't, I, I don't really, there's so much of you, who you are. You don't remember, um, as a, I think that you don't remember kind of who you are as a teenager. So, um, I, I mean, I do remember being like really loving to pray, uh, and being overly talkative, which I still am. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I, I definitely didn't have any kind of category of liturgy. I do know that from a very early age, I was asking questions about how does this, how does this affect? everything like how um i've told you this before um jimmy but about uh i remember early on you did a talk around martin luther king day on the way that the gospel affects racial reconciliation uh which this was like the 90s the early 90s when no one I feel like this is a common topic of conversation now, but nobody at our church was talking about it at the time. And I was completely taken by it and transformed by it. So because I just wanted to know what's this have to do with everything, right? What's this have, what does this have to do with politics? What's this have to do with the environment? What's this have to do with what we do on Wednesday night? So I was really interested in that, and I was interested in the idea of formation, but I didn't have the word for that. Um, I remember, I have this vivid memory of being in your youth group and me being like, I don't remember what I asked, but it was was something like, how do I stop spinning? (laughs) 
And you said, die. <laughs> I'm glad you did not take me up on that. <laughs> uh, and um, because it was a crazy question, but I think, but, but behind that was like, how, like, what does formation look like? Like, how do I actually change? I believe these things, but how does that transform things? So I was asking those questions. I don't. I don't know if I would have had, I didn't have any language for any of that, like thinking about liturgy or formation. I don't even know if I thought about sort of ordinary versus not ordinary Mm because, you know, I was like, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I'm not entirely sure why I so loved like church and prayer. I know that, that my love for that was not normal for that age and stage. But, um, but I know that that was there, but I was also, you know, just like a kid trying to like get through math class, algebra or whatever. So I don't think that I, I would have thought, Ooh, I'm really interested in the liturgy of the ordinary and algebra, but I think I was asking some of those questions. Did you have Miss Garner for math? Yes. You know, I see her weekly at church. Oh, Isn't that crazy? She was so sweet. Jimbo the asked you. The only time I got in trouble in high school was with her. You Ms. got Garner. in for trouble talking, <laughs> for talking to oh. talking to Carter Craig in the <laughs> class, and we got we got detention. <laughs> so Jimbo asked the most basic of questions to define the 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 very words in your title, but I, I want you to speak globally to the book and kind of what it's about, and I want to read a quote from it, which I think might kind of lead you there, but you wrote that the new life into which we are baptized is lived out in the days, hours, and minutes. God is forming us into a new people, and the place of that formation is in the small moments of today. Kind of describe your book for us. Yeah, so my book is about one day of my life, literally one day from waking to sleeping, and every chapter is on some small moment of that day and some small um, practice of that day. So uh, it's things like waking, losing my keys, brushing my teeth, getting stuck in traffic, getting in a fight with my husband, drinking tea. These are actual like chapters. And then I, I sort of cut between that moment in the day and something we do in worship, specifically something we do in Anglican worship. Um, because I'm Anglican now, but I don't just draw from Anglican worship. I actually draw a lot from uh, Reformed thought and Presbyterian, some from Eastern Orthodox, a little bit from Lutherans. So I have anything from Ralph. From that, well, I grew up Baptist, so I'm. I think that it, Ralph Smith should be all over take that. Take it out of me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, he was liturgical without knowing it. That he would always every <laughs> single sermon. Right, listen. he started this. This is the day the Lord has made. Mm-hmm. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, that was liturgy. He started yep. every sermon that way. Um, so, yeah. So I would I'd go back and forth between uh, this just this completely average, ordinary day and um, some aspect of worship or some practice of worship. And so I use... Um, the one to unpack the other. So I use kind of the daily activities to unpack the meaning in this um, more overtly kind of liturgical worship um, practice. And then I, but I use 
the more overt worship practice to also unpack what it might mean to meet God in those small things like brushing your teeth or getting stuck in traffic. So, um, for instance, the one on traffic, I talk about um, waiting and how difficult it is for me to wait. I'm, I have really developed practices of restlessness and hurry. Uh, so the frustration I get when I'm forced to wait for something or wait in traffic against my will. And I talk about um, the practice of the liturgical calendar, the church calendar, and how that teaches me sort of in time to wait. And um, so I talk about time and how we use time to worship God, how we actually can encounter the story of Jesus in time and the way we name our days. And what it means to learn to wait and pray in those moments where uh, sometimes we were forced to wait and we wouldn't even want to. So I kind of use um, the small, the daily, to talk about um, sort of larger, ancient worship practices and then vice versa. It seems like Christianity today is so much more focused on the practical, the topical, the rubber meets the road. Theology itself has almost taken on, it's, a, it's an outmoded, outdated concept. It's boring, it's three-piece suits, it's a smelly auditorium. It has nothing to do with the with-it Jesus that, you know, follows us onto our social media apps. And yet, you know, you tackle theology in a very theology-centric in what you're doing. when Because we do talk to married couples here that listen to this podcast and, and dads and moms and about parenting. And how do you, how do we appreciate theology? How do we understand that theology is not the enemy or something outdated, but that theology is actually core to everything that we say we believe? Oh, that is such a great question. Did you hear that, Josh? That was a great question. I fell asleep. It was so okay, long. Sorry. <laughs> really good question. Um, well, a few things. Um, uh, I can think of a couple ways to respond to that. One would be um, theology will seem um, irrelevant to our lives unless we are dealing with our actual life and how theology, how that makes it difference in theology. Um, I mean, for instance, something like the Trinity. Uh, I, I think evangelicals don't think about the Trinity. I mean, we would maybe affirm the doctrine of the Trinity, but then we're sort of like, well, that's kind of weird and doesn't quite make sense. So mainly we're going to focus on Jesus because <laughs> the Trinity sure. makes us a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that um, it when we sort of um, can embrace more real Trinitarian theology, it transforms our ideas of relationships because God himself is social. Like God in, in and of himself was loving in community. Uh, and this is obviously a great mystery for all time. So, um, I think what I'm saying is that um, we have to understand that theology is never something that we just sort of put on the shelf as a doctrine we affirm and then go about our lives. 
um, there's this book called The Cruelty of Heresy. Um, I actually can't remember the author. It's downstairs in my office right now. But uh, he talks about heresy isn't just sort of you got an idea wrong. Like heresy will produce cruelties. There's um, there's an orthopraxy and right practice that orthodoxy is connected to that um, if we get the orthodoxy wrong, if we get theology wrong, it doesn't ever just stay there. It ends up rippling into really relevant questions about how we live our lives. So I think um, just we have to, since the Enlightenment, there's been a bit of a, a separation between faith kind of doctrine and practice or orthodoxy and orthopraxis. And I just think we have to knock down that wall all the time, constantly, that they just have to go together. The other thing I'd say is that there is a sense where theology has to capture our imagination. Um, It has to be something that isn't just something we affirm in our heads, but as something that really catches our hearts. And so it will involve things like beauty and, um, and, and good. I mean, the theology that I love is, is beautifully written and it makes me sort of angry when, when I read books that are talking about incredible truths of God. And it's like, it's like reading a, you know, like a Ikea um, instruction manual. (laughs) It drives me insane because I think, there needs to be words that are beautiful for this. So, but I think, I mean, one thing I've said before is I, it's hard for me to understand. There is a bit of like a anti-doctrine. Um, I think uh, at times Christians be, can be sort of anti-theology or anti-doctrine. Like it's this all this kind of like old, dry stuff. But to me, it seems like um, it's like a poet hating the alphabet. I mean, we just... Uh, of course, you don't just stare at the alphabet and stare at the alphabet for the alphabet's sake. But if you're going to get to, if you're going to say anything meaningful at all about anything in the world, you have to have um, basics of sort of systems like the alphabet and ways that you write words and dictionaries. And I just think that, of course, we don't, we don't, um, study theology because we love theology. We study theology because we love God, but you can't say anything meaningful about God, anything at all, without that being a theological statement in some way. So I think understanding that theology is the only vehicle we have to, to, to talk about God, who is we call our beloved, is important. It's not something that's like separate from mm-hmm. this actual Christian life we're living but people have separated it, you know, to your point, and obviously you've probably researched this more than me, but, you know, since the Enlightenment, people have separated it. And you're, we're living out our theology, whether we acknowledge it or not, or, you know, want to say we are or not. I guess for me, and real quickly before we go, I'd love a, a minute to a minute and a half on, give me like this a social criticism on, generally speaking, the American church today and where we're at since it's so ingrained in us to separate our theology from our daily lives. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's hard for me to talk about the American church because it just seems like it's so um, divided, right? Like, um, 
it churches are very, very, very different from each other right now, culturally, theologically, in many other ways. So, um, but yeah, I will say it's interesting uh, when you compare the American church to the global church, because a lot of the things that we are fighting tooth and nail about here in America are just not issues over overseas. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so for instance, there's a tendency here for it to kind of folks to care about like poverty and social justice, and that's kind of the left and progressive, and maybe they don't care as much about doctrine or orthodoxy or the truth of scripture or vice versa. You have folks who are all about doctrine and orthodoxy, but don't really care how that plays out among, you know, prison reform, for instance. Well, if you go to the global South, like if you, if you go to the church in Africa, which um, there's far more believers any Sunday morning in Africa yeah. worshiping Jesus than there are in all of Europe. That's just not even a question. I mean, they sure. care about the poor and social justice, and they care deeply about doctrine and theology and orthodoxy. And it's crazy that, to them that that would—it it, just—it would—it's an—they they don't even have categories to sort of, like, see the um, weird separations that us as, as Americans have made. Um so I, I don't know. Um, I don't, I am not equipped to speak to the whole American church, but I do think we have to recover historic orthodoxy in like a beautiful and robust way. And that has to be connected with, um, you know, big things like social justice and politics, but also things like kindness and mm-hmm. repentance and and what you guys are talking about, the way we parent and the way we are married to each other and not just, you know, that we, I don't know, pat ourselves on the back for getting marriage right or something, but that we, that we actually embody this in a way that is um, transformative, that's loving, that is, um, I don't know, where some, where people could see our marriages and see that we live them differently, that they're beautiful. Yeah. And I think without trying to answer you answer, I, you know, you I, if I could put kind of what you're saying in, in my own words, I, I hear you saying, you know, that we have we have separated belief from action in a lot of ways. And subsequently, you mentioned the American church being very divided. I think that's led to division that we have, quote unquote, the luxury, although it's probably killing us like a cancer from within, you know, the luxury to sit back and debate whether or not we should have prison reform and what is true pro-life, you know. And even 2,000 years ago, I've heard theologians speak on, you know, the separation between my beliefs and what I do on a daily, that didn't even make sense to believers 2,000 years ago. No, it so was That was the Gnostics. Yeah, it was, I believe, therefore that, of course, I'm going to love prisoners in Africa today. You know, that just makes sense to them because I'm a Christian. So I do think it's led to the division and, and probably in a lot of ways, killing us from the inside. Tish, I really do appreciate you being with us. And ever so often, this sort of comes up. And you, you have, and I, and I don't want to get y'all excited, but you made one of my favorite guests. <laughs> Therefore, uh, I'm 
I'm culturally appropriating this music because the next time you're in Austin, uh, you get an all-expense-paid dinner at Enchiladas y Mas. Yeah, that's yes. exciting. It, well, it is. <laughs> the last time I was with you, we ate queso, so we will. I will eat more queso. I will eat more queso. You know, the deal is, is actually, since you're kind of from here, you're probably going to be coming back. And so this time, with all my other guests that I, yeah, I don't really mean it. Um, if someone called and said, hey, I'm in town, I would just like buckle. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> but the next time you're in town, enchiladas and moss. Yeah, I'm in town for Thanksgiving, so... Ah, we will make that just happen. A couple of weeks. Tish, thank you so very, very much. And again, guys, the book is called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Get it Amazon everywhere Christian books are sold. Thank you. I was going to say thanks for the podcast, but also thank you for telling me about Jesus from um, like age 14 to 18. Hey, thank you for telling me about Jesus. <laughs> how, how do you well, thank you someone know. for that? Thank you that I'm a Christian. There you go. <laughs> I love you, sweetie. Have Take a great care. rest of your day. I love you too. So many things. And really, you're know, talking about the Gnostics. This was the first thing that popped in my head Correct. when she was talking. I was going, oh my gosh, we're doing the exact same thing uh, that they did 2,000 years ago. When the thing that plagued the early church is plaguing us now, that we can in some way completely separate what we're doing from what we say we believe. I tell you, if, if, if you just want to step back, be still, and know that God is God, what a great read, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. If there was a book to make our theology and our day in and day out, our orthodoxy and our day in and day out relevant, it's mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So if you know if you're sitting there and you're a mom or a dad and you're like, I'm just trying to put food on the table and make it to soccer practice by six, you know, if you need something All the more reason. Correct. To yeah. break this bad boy down for you, this is the book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if you were completely disinterested as soon as someone says theology or orthodoxy, this is the book. Yeah. So it's the Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. If you want more information about Tish, go to her website, tishharrisonwarren.com. You can also follow her on Twitter. It is Tish underscore H underscore Warren. She's a hoot. If you want more information about this show or any links to the information we talk about, it's paradoxpodcast.com. You can also go to the website and find out more information on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram account. Uh, we hope you have a good rest of your day. Peace out. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. I can remember a time in college, this whole thing started to solidify for me around 2021 or 22. And I would assume that's also pretty common. I went to Howard Payne University in God's country. Amen. Another way to say that is Podunk, USA. Yes. I'm a city boy from Austin, and I was in the ring with a bunch of farmers. And I, I lotioned my feet. Don't tell me that now. I lotioned my elbows. You tell me that while we're live a on the air. A little bit of Luberderm. You are a girly man. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm not like... Hunting every weekend. <laughs> I like I like a good hunt, but I'm not like I like to kill things as as much as the next guy. <laughs> okay, 
hunting every weekend, man. Um, I'm like, sit on my rear end, watch sports guy. Anywho, there was a girl in college that grew up around farmers, and I'm certainly no roughneck. She called me, I think we were at like at a football game, a six-man football game one Friday night, and she called me a girly guy. And I remember for like weeks being wrecked by that. 